We turn tonight in God's Word again to the 8th chapter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As I mentioned this morning, um, Sandy and I will be gone next week, Saturday and Sunday, and uh, we have the privilege of having seminarian Tad Grunendyke filling the pulpit for us both morning and evening. Um, that's why I decided to stay in 2 Corinthians for both morning and evening rather than starting a new series and then there's a week without it and it kind of gets out of sync a little bit. So we're, both of our messages are from 2 Corinthians today. Pick it up at verse 16. We considered verses 1 through 15 this morning. Verse 16. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner, fellow worker for your benefit. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love, and of our boasting about you to these men. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word. And just pray that through the preaching of the word that we may learn to live humbly before you. And that we may serve you in all that we do. And just bless Pastor Bob as he brings this to us. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. For two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9, Paul goes on in this book, in this letter to this Corinthian church, about this gift. And as I mentioned this morning, this gift is an offering, a collection, for the saints who are part of the church of Jerusalem, which is going through a time of famine, time of hardship, a time of poverty. The churches... that are in existence at that time uh, are being visited by various members of a commission, Paul being one of those, to take up an offering, a collection for these saints to help them during this time of need. As I say, for two chapters now, Paul is going to go on to talk about this gift. And it just strikes me once again the, the time that Paul spends on this. But obviously we know it's not Paul. We know that this is by inspiration of the Spirit. So this is the Lord himself who is taking two chapters of Scripture 
to deal with this subject. One that ought to tell us of its great importance. Something is going on here that the Lord desired not only for the Corinthian church, not only for the church of that day, but for you and I today as well to keep in mind. That's, that's one thing to take from that. Two, the second thing is that God does not shy away from then the subject of giving. That this is an important concept. In fact, this is more important than many of the questions we often ask. Notice how many questions it is that, that we come to in Scripture or we come to in our thinking or in our devotional life where we go, wonder why we don't have a few verses that answers that question for us. How come we don't have a chapter dealing with that subject? How come God didn't give us the answer to this particular question? Well, one would have to conclude that if the Lord decided not to give us answers to things that we think are pressing questions, perhaps they're not that pressing. And that the Lord thought and believes and knows in his all-wise counsel that two chapters on the subject of giving is more important for the Christian life than many of those questions that we often raise. Maybe it's a good reminder to us that we ought to spend less time speculating and more time living the Christian life. Less time speculating about what may be and more time actually doing that which God calls us to do. So as I looked at these verses and was thinking, okay, this flows into this whole subject of giving, but but I'm seeing there's a, there's something different here as well. It falls into the category. It falls into the great subject. And this morning, as we as we looked at those first 15 verses, we looked at it, and 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 I'm seeing that that God is calling us as Christians to live generous lives. That that's the way we ought to be in response to grace. And the idea of living generously is an act of grace in and of itself that comes to us from the Lord. But these verses, although the subject is still in in the broad context about this gift, it seems to me that there's something else happening here. And I'm going to title our message tonight, Living Humbly. Living Humbly. The first thing I want you to note as a major point is Paul's praise of others. And then secondly, Paul's concern for Christ. So Paul's praise of others and Paul's concern for Christ. First of all, do do you notice how much of the section I read deals with individuals that Paul is praising. That is not something easy for human beings to do. What is easy for us to do is to find fault. What is easy for us to do is to pick apart. What is easy for us to do is to notice 
the speck in our brother's eye. We could listen to the to perhaps the finest piece of symphony music. And I'm sure that many human beings could find fault with it. Wasn't long enough. Was too short. I didn't like the way the violins played their piece. I didn't like the the attitude of that cymbal player. He, He looked way too into himself. It is hard for us as human beings to just praise another individual. It's got to do with with that selfishness attitude. It's got to do with that pride thing. It's got to do with the fact that oftentimes we as, as sinful individuals looking at ourselves and looking at others figure the best way to climb to the top is to tear somebody else down. We know we have our own weaknesses, so the best way to deal with trying to get ahead is to tear someone else apart. And if we tear another down, that might launch us forward. I guess is, for those of you who live in the business world and business realm, you probably see this on a regular basis. But somebody else who perhaps is in your same position or maybe a step or two lower than you, okay, that oftentimes you can present work and they'll find fault. Even though there seems to be no fault to be found, but they want to make something up. They want to find some fault in it in order to, to perhaps in the eyes of others to, to bring you down a step or two. And that might elevate them. Maybe they might get the next promotion over you. Christians, believers, are not called to that kind of life. We are not called to live proudly. Instead, we are called to live humbly. And I find it interesting that in this section, the Apostle Paul, who who we would probably argue to some respects, is the missionary par excellence of the New Testament. He is the writer of more New Testament books than any other writer of New Testament books. Speaks, really, no words about himself in this section. Instead, the praise all is directed towards others. And really, as as I read it over and kept reading it over, I couldn't find Paul saying, yeah, I'm going to say some nice things about him, but I also got a few problems here. All it is, is Paul's humility. Not a false humility, not a fake humility, but a genuine Christ-like humility in his praise of others. Now, let's look at at four things and and how we see that reflected in this passage. First of all, note in verses 16 and 17, okay, he, he, he lauds, he praises the earnestness of Titus. He praises the fact that Titus is a man of sincerity. He is a man who is motivated in the work of the gospel. He is motivated in this work, in this call, in this task of making this collection for the saints. 
who put it in the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you. He not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he's going to you of his own accord. Paul is saying, that man Titus, you know him. Of course they knew him. Titus had worked with the Corinthian church. He had been there. That's probably the reason why out of the men who are listed here, Titus is the only one who is mentioned by name. Because the Corinthians knew him. They knew who he was. They knew his name was Titus. He had worked with them. But Paul, as it were, praises Titus in a sense diminishing himself because he has a greater purpose in mind and that is the glory of Christ. We'll get there in a few minutes. Secondly, note he also praises the preaching of another. And this is this to me is just so interesting. Okay? Look at verse 18. With him, that is with Titus, we are sending the brother. What brother? The brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. I have a confession. Those would be hard words to write. Hey, I, I'll give you a little insight. Some you know, pastors, okay, we're, we're human beings too. You know, you know what happens when a pastor goes and hears another pastor preach? Uh, he missed that point. Uh, he, he didn't explain that very well. Well, I certainly would have organized that sermon. Okay? I oh, spent way too much on that point, not enough there. Well, how hard it would be you know, for most of us to write these words. The brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And have those words be honest and genuine and true. I mean, the other thing is you have to bear in mind... Paul, by his own admission, is no great pastor. He's no great preacher. He's a great theologian, but he doesn't communicate well. He, he tells us this throughout his letters. Here's Paul looking to this individual and saying, I'm sending with Titus this man who is famous. This man is known for his passion, for his preaching of the gospel. Most commentators will tell you in the explanation of that that, that Paul is alluding to the fact of, of his, his, his completeness in that preaching, in his faithfulness in that preaching, in the dynamic of his preaching. Why does Paul praise this man? Not false humility glory of Christ. Living humbly is for Christ's glory. The other thing interesting about this is the guy is unnamed, which leads to endless speculation. Okay, And seeing we don't need to go down the rabbit trail of listing about the five different guys that eh, are suspected of being it, the answer is we don't know. We don't know who this was. 
I can tell you who the leading candidate is and probably meets most of the criteria for it, and that would be the gospel writer Luke. But we don't know that. We, we, we have no idea of knowing who this is. And isn't that an interesting thing in and of itself, that Paul doesn't name the famous pastor, the one who is the most famous preacher. He doesn't attach a name. Perhaps Paul is already telling us something about humility. And it really doesn't deal with the man's name. It deals with the fact of the man is passionate about his preaching of the gospel. The other thing about this individual, as we go to verse 19, is that this individual is one who has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself to show our goodwill. Say, where's humility there? Well, you notice these men are not taking it upon themselves to do this work. These men are not saying, hey, I just feel the urgent need to go around collecting money for the church at Jerusalem. So I'm just going to travel through Acacia. I'm just going to travel through Macedonia. I'm going to write a letter to the church there in Corinth and try to raise some funds because I just feel it in my heart that this is something somebody really ought to be passionate about. Not one of these men is doing this on their own. These men have been called and commissioned by the church. It is the church that has put these men on the road for this collection. There is nothing about this that it's about these men, that it's, that it's about their work, it's about their calling. See, how many organizations can you not think of right now that are involved in Christian ministry, that you think of the man's name before you think of the organization he is a part of. How interesting it is that the passage leaves three of these four men unnamed. Because you see, what we're being told here is that these men were subject to the authority of the church. And there is a lesson for us to be learned about missions. See, we could take this morning's message and go, hey, you know what? Oh, there's a need there. We should just send them money. No, you've got to read the rest of the chapter. The rest of the chapter tells us that this was done in a very organized manner, not by individuals, not by those who had it on their heart, but this was done by the church. They submitted themselves to the authority of the church and they are commissioned by the church and they're going out under the authority of the church to raise these funds for the poverty-stricken believers in Jerusalem. That is a sign, my friends, of living humbly. That you subject yourself to the authority of others in the work that you are willing to do. Too many, too many, now be blunt, too many in the work of missions just want to go it on their own. They want to write the rules. They want to establish the fun. They want to say where we're going, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to spend my time. And they're unwilling to submit to the church of Jesus Christ. So as we look at this whole concept, okay, we, we have to see 
how this is working. Of course they're encouraging churches to give. It's a church cause. It's the work, one could say, of the church of Jesus Christ, which they are united on in saying, this is what needs to be done. Fourth, there is a third unnamed individual. Go down to verse 22. And with them, so that would be with Titus, and with the famous preacher, the ones who have been commissioned, verse 22, and with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested, found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. So now they got another guy. What do we know about this man? This man is somebody who has been tested. He has been examined. Those who are in authority have tested this man to see whether he has what it takes to be involved in the cause of going around to these churches collecting these funds. And he's been found earnest in many matters. Not all. Paul doesn't say, this is Jesus Christ incarnate. This is a sinless, perfect human being. He doesn't say that. But he says, in, in the areas where we tested this man, he passed. He's done well. He too is accompanying this. Living humbly. Living humbly involves being willing to sincerely, honestly praise other individuals. Perhaps at times, to bite our tongues and to withhold the criticisms that could be given. I mean, isn't it interesting in that last passage that Paul says many matters, but he doesn't say, yeah, he kind of did poorly in this area. Yeah, he did poorly in that area. Now instead, what you're left with is the impression of an individual who has done very well. And Paul does nothing to diminish that. As we just pause here a moment, just, just ask yourself, so how are you going to live 2017? Going to live generously? Going to live humbly? That's what we're called to, are we not? That's what Paul calls us to in the book of Philippians, that we are to humble ourselves like Christ. We're to live in that kind of manner. And we live praising sincerely other individuals, not exalting ourselves by the criticizing them. But here comes the bigger picture. Okay. Why is Paul on this road? Because he has a concern for Christ's kingdom, I think we could say. Probably that word needs to be added. He is concerned. He's concerned about a number of things. One, he's concerned about this gift. Look with me at verse 20. We take this course, so what he has set up to this point 
We take this course. Why? So that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. See, he's concerned about this gift, this collected gift. Now, why is he concerned about it? Well, for a number of reasons. One, he wants to make sure that the gift itself, this gift of funds, which probably is going to end up being a large sum of money, seeing it's coming from all the churches, Acacia, Macedonia, Corinth, is treated honorably for Christ's name. What does it mean to treat a gift honorably? It means to have respect for it and to realize that this is that which has been given for a specific cause and for a specific purpose and for the work of the Lord. That means we don't dip into it for something that was not intended. These men have to make sure that the gift is treated honorably. Secondly, he doesn't want the gift to malign the church. In other words, he doesn't want this to become sort of the thing that the church becomes known for and not the gospel. He doesn't want the church to be a financial institution before it's the institution of the gospel. And sometimes, whether it's a church, whether it's a school, whether it's an organization, times you kind of wonder what's running the show. Is the fact that it's Christian its main emphasis or the fact that it's kind of involved in fundraising and money and just getting more and more and more? What's, what's really it all about? What's really the emphasis here? What's really going on? Paul is concerned that the reputations of the that the reputation of the churches throughout all of Rome empire now is is held high that people don't look at it and go oh you 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 attend that church oh I know what they're all about they're all about money raising that's all about funds yeah it's all about money give 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 collect 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 he doesn't want that to happen so although there is a need for this collection, he doesn't want the collection to overwhelm and, and as it were, become that which signifies the church or that which the church becomes known for. Nor does he want the collecting of this money to be seen as some sort of arm-twisting gimmick. And we've all seen evidences of that before. We, we, we know how this works. We know the guilt trip that can be laid upon individuals okay? you know, to, to give for a cause. Paul, Paul does not want this gift, this offering that is being taken up 
to result in, in any way that the world would look at this and say, this is just some sort of gimmick. This is some sort of get-rich scheme. And, and I think we could add to it is, Paul doesn't want this to go to his own pocket or any of these men's pocket, so it looks like they're riding around in gold-plated chariots while they're taking money from poor people. So he's concerned about the gift. Why? The glory of Christ. For the honor of the Lord. And it's a good reminder to us. It's a good reminder to the institutions, but it's a good reminder to us as a church as well to always keep finances in perspective. To never let us be controlled by finances. That's not what is to dominate us. That is not to be what our lifeblood about. But at the same token, we also have to make sure that our finances are dealt with honorably. It's why we, we elect men to specifically, as part of their responsibility, not their sole responsibility, but as part of their responsibility, to care for the gift. Why? Because it needs to be done honorably. And so we elect men who fit the requirements that Paul lays down for deacons in the church. We have the men who fit the requirements of those who are laid down as elders of the church. In order that that aspect, the financial aspect of the church, is kept in the perspective it needs to be kept, but in the same respect that it is done honorably. That it is done right. That it never becomes something it is not intended to do. Paul's concern is about Christ in this collected gift. Secondly, Paul's concern about Christ in this group of men. Look at verse 23. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. See, there's a group of four. There's Titus. There's the unnamed, famous preacher. There's the tested brother, and there is Paul. These four men have the responsibility from the church for this offering. Paul says, these men's work, this work of, we could say, of being deacons in a certain respect, these men's work. You gotta understand that these men are messengers of the church. Why? For the glory of Christ. See, what is Paul's concern? Hey, we need to have enough money in order to support those people. No, that's gonna take care of itself. That that will be the Lord's will. Because he's emphasized over and over and over again the fact that we are to give willingly. This is to come from the heart. What's the net result? He doesn't know. He doesn't know how much every individual is able, is capable of giving. So the emphasis has never been on an amount. 
Come on, we got to get to a goal. We got to get there. We got to get to this goal. Yep, come on, come on, let's get to this goal. It's not the way Paul operates. Paul says these men have been appointed by the church for the glory of Christ. So that in their work, Christ will be glorified. Verse 24. So give proof. Now he comes back to the Corinthians. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. See, the eyes are all on Corinth. Everybody's watching. Uh, One translation or one way of translating verse 24 is this. So give proof before the face of the church of your love and of your boasting, of our boasting about you to these men. Everybody's looking at Corinth. People in Acacia, people in Macedonia. Is Corinth going to give or aren't they going to give? What are they going to do? And as I alluded to this morning, part of the reason for that is they're the wealthy church. (laughs) They're the church that's doing well. People look to them. What are you going to do? How are you going to help? I say that as well, reflecting on the fact that, you know, in the early days of Little Farm's existence, we were the recipients. (laughs) The doors were kept open, not only, in a sense, in my tenure, starting some 27 years ago, but certainly many years before that. But the doors were kept open only through the generosity of other churches giving. But you know, the situation now is a pretty wealthy church. We're a pretty wealthy church. Pretty large church within the denomination of which we are a part. We're certainly financially healthy. The eyes of the church upon us. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to honorably care for the blessings that God has given to us? How are we going to deal with that? Lastly, notice where this all began. This all began with Paul's words, but thanks be to God. And that's where we can end too. It's an understanding that all of living is under the Lordship of Christ. It's the understanding that the Lord is the one who has blessed. The Lord is the one who has provided. It is the Lord has given truly all we need in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned this morning in the the opening, we're not crying for money. This isn't a sermon about a plea for money we we need more to make up the deficit of last year thanks be to god we don't have that situation thanks be to god for generous givers thanks be to god for an understanding that to give and to live generously is a grace of god but even as we say that we need to caution ourselves right You have to be careful. 
That is not a reason for pride. It's a reason for humility. It's a reason to step back and say, thanks be to God. Because it's only through His blessing, it's only through His work, it's only, it's only because of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God's people say, Amen. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. This is kind of nitty-gritty stuff. Stuff we'd easily pass over and not pay perhaps the attention we should. And so we thank You, Lord, for this portion of Your Word. Pray that, Lord, it will have been applicable to each one of our hearts, each one of our lives, that we will have heard Your Word of truth, that it might have confirmed that which we already do and are. Or it might motivate us, Father, or it might convict us. But certainly, Father, we pray that it might lead us to living more humbly before Your face in this coming year. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.